What's up? Welcome to the Confluence VC podcast. This podcast is meant to give you a personal glimpse into the next era of investors and operators. This week we had on Brandon Beck with Kickstart. Kickstart is an early stage fund based in Salt Lake City that focuses on building and partnering with the best companies in their region. Since launching in 2008, this targeted approach has established the fund as one of the most successful, not just in Utah, but also in all of the Mountain West. Brandon has been with the fund for three years now, and outside of work, he recently put out an extremely comprehensive Utah startup scene resource guide that we'll link below. In this talk, we covered Brandon's background and his path into venture, the origin story and thesis of Kickstart, investment trends that Brandon's monitoring, and the startup ecosystem in Utah and the Mountain West. Everyone, welcome, welcome. We have the homie Brandon Beck from Kickstart, who's a killer, and we are excited to have him as a guest today. Brandon and his team have done a lot of great work building out the Utah ecosystem, and they have an insane portfolio, tons of exits, and I think you all have done like over a hundred investments at this point, and like over a billion or like one point five six billion or something like that in follow-ons at this point. And uh, yeah, man, I, I think that as we all go through COVID and transition out of this thought of everyone having to be in San Francisco, Brandon is just an amazing person to have on our show to talk about what it's like to exist and perform in a place that's not San Francisco or, or maybe New York. Thank you so much for being here with us today. We'd love to get started by you talking to us about your background for maybe a minute or two. And uh, yeah, in doing that, we'll talk about everything from being an Eagle Scout to student body president to somehow ending up as first off, I want you to be my hype man always from here on out. That was, that was like, you just, you just like morning phone calls with Tyler to get you going. That's something like a great idea. I think it's hilarious. You brought up the Eagle Scout thing. I don't even know why I have that on my LinkedIn profile. If you would have been with me at a camp out like two weekends ago with some friends, I couldn't even start a fire, much less tie a knot. Like I, my mother is <laughs> the one that got to out for me. So I think it's like the ultimate offense to have that on my LinkedIn. But yeah, so, you know, quick background on me. I was, was, I'm from Utah originally, spent most of my life there. I think that's relevant. Just that, that, that kind of background is why I'm at the fund I'm at, honestly, is just a lot of uh, network and local knowledge came from being, from growing up there. We're a geographically focused fund. So grew up in Utah, spent some time in Brazil as a kid. My parents worked there. And then between high school and college, I went on a two-year Mormon mission to Brasilia, Brazil. And that was a fairly formative experience in terms of you just you get rid of all tech, you get rid of all friends, you like talk to your family twice a year, and you're just in the, the boonies in Brazil walking around. And it was a really interesting experience there to just reflect and think about what you want in, in your life and how you want to approach things. So I had a little sabbatical gap and then got back, went to Brigham Young University in Provo for four years. And I think there's a lot of interesting things there that sort of, I think, got me to where I'm at today. But the one kind of approach I took in college that I think was most foundational was I, I viewed my time in college as uh, very network heavy. And that wasn't a way to justify not getting a 4.0, but I basically spent, I viewed the value of my college education as meeting a ton of interesting people before any of us were successful and, and building those relationships and reasons to talk before any of us even knew what we were doing. 
And one way I approached that was always having an excuse to basically stay in touch with anyone I ever met. So my goal was if I meet you, I want to have something in my quiver of life experiences or projects or organizations I'm involved with to be able to say we should stay in touch. And I did that between my brother and I bought this like rickety old house and turned it into like basically a music venue that we'd, we'd host concerts at. I got involved in student government, like you mentioned. I was involved in business clubs and I did side projects. And it was just, I always felt like I could meet someone doing sports teams or whatever and have an excuse to stay in touch with them for any reason. So that was step one. I think just like I cast the widest net possible and I sincerely love meeting new people. So I didn't feel like it was like out of the norm for me to do that. From that experience of going to school, I, I then buying, buying this piece of real estate with my brother inspired me to want to do more real estate. And setting off into my career path, I think the caveat that every investor says that comes on here or any other venture show is I have this circuitous, non-traditional background. <laughs> and like, I can't say like how more real that was for me. I know it's so cliche, but I truly could not have done it worse, maybe. Like, to be a venture investor, I don't think I could have tried harder to not be in a position to get a venture job. And so basically my first job out of college, I wanted to do real estate involving real estate, but I also was interested in consulting. So I did real estate consulting, which was with a wonderful organization with wonderful people. And it could not be, had been a worse job for me. <laughs> like I just, it just played on, it taught me a lot about professionalism and deliverables and financial modeling, but it just was, I found myself like, every day distracted on like startup ideas or other things and had to stay late to get my work done because I wasn't interested in the actual work. Did that for two years, decided to switch over to investing. So I stayed in real estate, got into an investment sort of development group in real estate, did that for a year. And then the universe like course corrected for me. And a friend of mine randomly reached out a year into my job. And he, he basically said, Hey man, we we're friends back at school you're a super atypical candidate for a venture role, but I think you could be interesting to come in. And, and basically when I came in, his whole entire pitch to me was like, hey, you have, you have a great network in Utah. You're someone that we view as like very social and have a lot of energy to run at stuff. And so we'd love to just see if, how you'd be as an associate. And I said, yes. And it was so funny because I got into the role and I realized so quickly, like the stuff I was wasting my time on in my previous jobs was my job in venture. It was like going deep on business ideas and researching, following tech trends and all that. So it was just like so fortuitous. I found that early in my career and had a friend that was willing to reach out. And I think it comes down to just honestly, I put in the time between graduation and getting the job to stay in touch with people that I had met. And it was things as simple as saying yes to go. I went on a hike with this guy randomly with a group of friends. And if I hadn't gone on that hike, he wouldn't have reconnected with me and probably wouldn't have invited me to interview. So I think that was the only thing I did truly was just cast a wide net in my undergrad and then nurture it afterward just so that I had opportunities come across my, my desk. Oh, that's beautiful. I, for some reason, when you talked about all this stuff from real estate, it reminded me of the fact that you all did homie with the folks, Mike and yeah. the, rest of the team. Some of my the ultimate, ultimate homies, the ultimate, <laughs> like they're real homies. Yeah. But yo, that's an amazing for way and adventure. Can you tell us a bit about like how your background lend itself to Kickstarter? What's the thesis of the fund? What do you personally spend your time on? Focus areas? Like what's good with, with Kickstarter? How'd you all build such a dope portfolio also? 
Yeah, I can't take any credit for the founding of the fund or kind of getting to where we are now. But I, I joined at a time in which we had a lot of momentum and that momentum was from a really great team. The first fund, so we're on our fifth fund now. We launched our fifth fund in February, which was like a buzzer beater. You know, like could not have closed the fund at a more fortuitous time. That's a $110 million fund. And we are very focused on the seed stage. Our first fund was pioneering, launched in 2008 in the recession. And the whole thesis was, hey, there's a lot of really interesting entrepreneurs in the Mountain West that don't have access to cap capital, especially not from institutional sources. And so there's a push to, to bridge that gap and get capital to them. And so our entire thesis is on the Mountain West and the types of businesses that are started here and facilitating entrepreneurs to getting kind of their companies up and going. And so we'll write checks as small as 200K and we'll go up to two plus million dollar checks at this point with our bigger fund. But we're looking to still support entrepreneurs at the earliest stages. We're, you know, geographically focused, industry agnostic. So we look at everything. We're generalists. We have a portfolio that consists of B2B SaaS, consumer products, marketplace, life sciences companies, hardware down the line. So, you know, that's sort you of- You also have a pretty, you have a pretty deep bench for FinTech as well. Like you all yeah. did Galileo. Yeah. You're in, you believe, I believe you're in NAV too. Yeah, we're in NAV, we're in South. You are with some, mean, you're some killers. <laughs> yeah, for real. We, have, we feel lucky to have gotten into some really, you know, great companies and the FinTech scene in Utah is, sort of wild right now. We've had multiple billion dollar exits this year in that space. And it's really start, starting to show the maturity of the market there. For sure. So tell us a little bit about how the Utah landscape, like what is it like? So there's you all, who are some of the other funds that you love, respect, and, and like how has that ecosystem evolved? Yeah, so we have, we have a lot of really great funds that we co-invest with, that we work with. The types of companies in Utah and the types of investors in Utah are very collaborative. That's like a big driver in the market. Other funds we like to invest with, Peterson Ventures, Album Ventures, Pelion, Epic. There's a, there's sort of a, a long list of them that I could go on. I, I would say the Utah landscape is, Utah basically is one of the earliest tech communities people don't know about. Utah was, Salt Lake via the University of Utah was like the fourth node on ARPANET back like pre-internet. And then it became one of the you know first computer science programs. And there's a lot of really early tech companies like Novell that were started out here that really attracted a lot of talent. People are you all called like Silicon Slopes? Yeah, the moniker is Silicon Slopes. And it's, it was referencing a lot of the tech companies that have set up shop here. And Utah is really known for being entrepreneurial. I think when I talk about Utah, I think it's really interesting to cite the fact that Utah was like founded by like actual pioneers who like tamed the desert. And then we're only like a gener we're only several generations removed from those people. Like it's in the blood. People like that came out here and founded this, they're entrepreneurial people. And so I think that spirit has persisted and we attract a lot of people from out of state who have that same approach, who are scrappy. They don't really like it's not a flashy way to build a business, but it's a really hungry, scrappy, creative way to do it. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit more transitioning into this? You recently put out the Utah Startup Guide. Went through it myself and it's like really impressive collection of resources you have in there. Can you talk a little bit more just about the, the thesis behind that? Yeah, I, and I appreciate you saying that. I think it's funny, the thesis, 
makes it sound makes it sound more deliberate than it was. It was born out of uh, a need to just fill information gaps in our ecosystem. And we are a naturally collaborative ecosystem, but the information gaps were killing a lot of this. We're consuming a lot of cycles of people's time to connect people and tell them what was going on. And after three years of venture in Utah, I, I just got to the point where I was like, I have sent the same email and sent the same, made the same connections and answered the same questions hundreds of times. And all of us will be better if we can understand the map and the landscape of the service providers, the funding groups, the organizations. And so that's really what the startup guide is just, it's your map to the Utah startup ecosystem. So if you are looking for a service provider from legal to marketing, et cetera, you can find someone. If you're looking to know which organization is supporting Latin founders in Salt Lake or which organization is for marketing professionals, like you can find that on our site. And so the whole goal is to basically help you connect with the community and help you get connected with people that want to support your business. Yeah, this, th by the way, this thing is incredibly comprehensive and your startup guide, like I'm looking through this and I'm seeing like Blitzpay and all these other random companies that I've recently looked at. I'm like, whoa, like I had no <laughs> clue all of these things are from Utah. So yeah. man, huge wow, thanks for, for putting that out, like yeah. all of the pieces of it. And I would love to just quickly ask, like, how's the community received it? Yeah, it was crazy. I think we made that guide. So I have two really great friends, Jacob Bueller and Justin Hills that helped me launch it. And we basically finished the guide in like June and we let perfect be the enemy of good. And we were just like, we need this thing to be so, you know, absolutely hundred percent comprehensive and have all these features. And so we just put it on ice to we were, as we were working on it. And finally, like October, we woke up and we're like, let's just give it to the community. Let's let everyone else crowdsource it and help us make it better. And so we just put it out there and, and we had an amazing response of everyone really you know, super supportive, submitting suggestions for groups to add and things to refine. And it's been really become sort of this community initiative that we wanted it to be from the start. Yo, that's fire. I think I love that you all decided to use Coda also. Like we built our platform in the same fashion. I think Clay was the one who was like, no, fuck that. We're putting this out. Not on can I get this <laughs> on our podcast. Anyway, um, Clay was the one who was like, yo, we got to get this out. Got to get this out. And I'm always like, no, man, we got to hold, we got to hold. Get this. <laughs> yeah. And um, just putting it out into the wild is incredible, man. And you see the results so quickly and Clay can speak to that very well. And uh, yeah, I, I love the organization that you put into it. Yeah. yeah. I think we're kindred spirits in that. Like I got into Confluence literally as I was like doing all this and seeing it, I was like, Dude, this is exactly what I love someone <laughs> going through the effort to structure it because I've done it in a different regard. And so I honestly love what you guys have built. It's been great. Yeah, shout out to you. Like, I think, again, I'm gonna give Clay a lot of more credit than I deserve on this one, but what it actually takes to build these things in detail and stack that amount of information and think it through. Thank you so much for putting in that work. I'm gonna go through your investor list and make a quick hit list. <laughs> like, like probably this week. <laughs> yeah, man, please do. And I would love to let Clay kick off our quick questions round as always. Yeah, I think, hold on. I think we had one more question we wanted to hit on. I guess it's related to what we've already talked about, but within you guys' focus areas, is there anything in particular, whether that's like a trend or business model, whatever, that excites you right now? Or you're finding you're spending a lot of your time exploring? 
Yeah, I think, so it's funny, as a generalist investor, that's the biggest, that's the toughest thing is to identify the trends you want to follow and track. And there's everything from like this growing fintech community to a lot of B2B SaaS companies. I think personally, I've, you know, gravitated towards prop tech, real estate type deals, just because that's the prior background I had. And so I understand how archaic that market is. I understand how massive of an opportunity that market is. There's been a lot of opportunities in that space that I've been excited about and taking a run at. It's awesome. I, I put in a note to remind myself to send you a couple podcasts that I've been listening to from Fifth Wall. Their like origin story is really fascinating, especially like they're thinking through the construction of a venture fund and like the mechanics behind it so they could find alpha. I'll put a note to send it over afterwards, but thought it was really interesting. You might be interested yeah. in checking it out. Yeah, I would love that. So cool. With So with that, would love to dive into these quick questions. So first question we have is what is a recommendation you hear regularly that you think is bad advice? So this might be like outdated advice that I'm just dating myself for saying it's advice, but you need to stay in your first job for two, two years. Or you need to stay for some determined amount of time. I think that's absolutely false. <laughs> if, if you get in and you're like, yeah, this isn't the right vibe. Like, find what is the right vibe and obviously push through hard things, but day after day, if you're not loving it and you're not growing a lot, then switch. Yeah. it's good advice. I think everyone, you realize if you like something or not within two or three weeks of doing it. And I think yep. if you're just banging your head against the wall there, like doesn't make a lot of sense for either side. Next question we have is in the last year, what new belief behavior or habit has most improved your life? Yeah, I feel like Tyler's talked about this in the past, but the, uh, th this is not my answer, but Calendly has transformed my life. This is so basic, <laughs> super, hu super human has transformed my life. But the actual, something that's more maybe interesting and less cliche than that is I try to write down three things I'm grateful for every day. And uh, that's like a remarkable antidote to pessimism and, and negative energy. If you are just sitting down at some point in your day and you write down three things that are very specific, about what you're grateful for. It's remarkable how that can just transform your perspective. Do you do it all at once or do you like split it up to different parts of the day? Yeah, I do it all at once. Sometimes I'll do it in the morning. Sometimes it'll be at night. I just do three things and try to make it as specific as possible. Cause I remember the, when I started, I was like, I'm grateful for nature. <laughs> <laughs> I'm grateful for like work. And then I was like, okay, no, like I'm grateful for doing this today because of this. Like just make it super specific is awesome. Yeah, I used to do the same thing. I haven't done it as much. I set all these random reminders in my phone for like a random time of the day to take a walk or a random time of the day, text someone you love something, a random time of the day, take two minutes to, to just appreciate five things or something like that. Side note, new thing that someone put me onto today is a company called Bridge. And what Bridge does is it auto facilitates connections between people. So someone can ping you and say, Hey, can you introduce me? And then instead of you having to do it, it'll just send a note to that person saying yes or no. It'll ask you to like to approve the sending of requests. And then it's automated the double opt-in that we've yeah. all done in the past. That's great. Yeah. Between that and Cryo, like a lot of really useful email tools are popping up to take away the, the burden of uh, connectivity. And then another one called reclaim.ai, which like auto schedules, all these things for you. Check them out. Everyone. Yeah, dude. Love it. It's <laughs> great. All right, next one we have. So aside from having to say no all the time, what's the worst part about venture? Yeah, I'd say like the parallels to dating. <laughs> like you have this game you're playing, this like FOMO induced environment. I think, don't get me wrong, venture is mostly really fun and great, but like that aspect of the jealousy, 
in the like game, honestly, of playing. We, when we have entrepreneurs that struggle to raise, I just sit them down. I'm like, hey, like, you gotta, you can't act that interested in these, these people. Like, like you gotta make them want to ask you out basically. And uh, that's, that's sadly how it is. Like it's human nature to want that. It's the power law too. You can be wrong 99 out of a hundred times. Like you just need one. Yes. Yeah. True. That's cool. I've never actually heard that parallel. That's funny. So next question we have is best piece of advice for junior VCs or those aspiring to break into venture. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say this is on the hills of just like tying it all together with the Utah startup guide conversation. It's really hard to figure out what your voice is when you start in venture and you're not a partner. And I think the world doesn't need more like hot takes on Twitter from someone. It's find something that you can create or some project you can get involved with on the side. It's in an industry or a community that you care about. You can just really become really integrated and be able to create a project that's valuable outside of your everyday work that can be synergistic with your work. So I think that's the main thing. Love that. Love it. All right. Last question we have here. So is there any mentor or mentors, depending on how many you want to answer that you'd want to give credit to right now? I think there's, everyone says this, but there's too many to, to list. I would say the one person I'm going to hone in on. So my whole family is wonderful and all my brothers and sister and parents are great. But I do have a brother that's one year older than me, who is like the person who has fielded more of my phone calls than anyone uh, should ever have to. And I think he's like actually inhibited me a little bit from developing my own rational brain because I view him as just a quick call away that's a rational brain. You know, he can like, I can check everything with him. Like I can, any thought I have, any business idea I have, I find myself checking in with him uh, fairly regularly on getting his thoughts. And so having someone like that in your life that is your go-to they basically serve as like a sounding board for you to talk through your own thoughts. That's an amazing uh, way to progress in your career and in your life. It's very reflective and introspective. And there's a brotherhood, literally in this case, that kind of comes from that. So I'd say my brother, Ryan, is is the mentor that has probably done more for me. He also, in college, we slept like two feet away from each other. He's had to put up with me far too much, but uh, he's been a good one. It's awesome. My, I'm in the middle of three brothers and both of them definitely fielded way too many unsolicited phone calls for me and just asking for advice on random stuff. So I feel all that. Yeah. And they can never stop answering your calls because they're going to yeah, the No choice. Know? Yeah. It's great. <laughs> they're locked into it. I'm a new big brother. My dad got married and like the kids, like they, I consider him to be my blood brother. And <laughs> I, uh, I technically can only get like cuddles and stuff out of him to feel like, oh, he's so adorable. Like I can't really get any like mental, actually I learn a lot from him, but like all in all, like he just calls me and I'm like, man, this new big brother thing is definitely a responsibility. Even though it's the best feeling ever. As the person on the opposite end of this, y'all are lucky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you, don't get, you don't get to practice being a parent, which I'm really enjoying. Like just seeing this little kid being the first thing in the world that's made me be completely selfless. Yeah, dude. That's awesome. Some people do that in quarantine when they bought pets and you just have it naturally with a little brother that's young enough you can parent. So this is great. Exactly. But um, yo, last thing, this is again for the community by the community. So what we ask everyone who comes on here is who in the world do you think should be part of the Confluence community and uh, specifically on this podcast? Who do you want to hear? Yeah. I'm going to say my friend, Kyle Harrison. I don't know if he's part of the community yet. He may be, he may not be, 
he is a friend of mine that I did a study abroad in England with, and he has gone, he, he's at Index Ventures right now. He's gone deep in venture, like does, has a lot of cool initiatives around helping young investors learn the ropes. And I think he would just be an interesting person to have on and hear his perspective. Is it Kyle that switched from KOTU? KOTU, yeah. Okay, okay. He, he is ironically already in the lineup. Like I mean, I've talked, to him about it. I've talked to him about it already. And he did not, so I knew that he was going to maybe switch. I couldn't tell, but like, maybe I didn't know he was going to index, but he has already talked to me about being on here. So we're going to just make that happen sooner because he's been upvoted. <laughs> yeah, that, that, was, that, that was my upvote. And just another confirmation we're all in sync. Super dope, dude. Yeah. Cool. Yo, thank you so much for the time. We'll edit this, get it back to you. And just shout out a ton of the Utah ecosystem energy into the world. And we can't send enough appreciation your way. So let us know how we can be helpful to you. Yeah, I appreciate, I appreciate you guys letting me come on. It was you know, great talking to you guys live. I love the community you've built. I'm excited to continue to tr contribute to it and we'll be in touch. So appreciate the time. Huge thanks again to Brandon for coming on. We hope that each of you were able to pick up something valuable from this talk. As a reminder, if you haven't done so already, and if you invest in the Utah startup scene, highly recommend you check out Brandon's resource guide that he put out. We'll link it below. We'll also have it in the newsletter. Again, encourage you to check it out if you haven't done so already. For next steps, if you're an investor and have not already signed up to join, we encourage you to check out our website at www.confluence.vc to submit your info to become a member. If you have any feedback for us, please feel free to reach out directly either to Tyler at tyler at gpv.com or myself at clay at Hope to hear from you all soon.